Christchurch, New Malden, 25th of August 2019, 6.30 service. Ruth Henson speaking on A Christian Who Changed My Life. At the preacher's meeting on Wednesday, Stephen asked me who I was going to be speaking about this evening, but then changed his mind and decided he didn't want any spoilers after all. But he did want to know whether it had been an obvious choice for me, and the answer is yes. That's not to say that there haven't been lots of Christians throughout my life who have had a huge influence on me. Growing up in a Christian home, my parents and godparents were a wonderful source of teaching, example and encouragement from my earliest memories. Speaking of godparents, my godmother, Anne Johnson, pictured here with her son Daniel and her husband Doug, who was curate here at Christchurch, provided me with the most striking example of faith and trust in God and peace beyond understanding as she lost her life to cancer during my teenage years. And my godfather, Chris Tull, a retired vicar living in Devon, continues to encourage me wonderfully, faithfully listening to all my talks and providing insightful feedback. Then, going to Christchurch infant and junior schools, my teachers and head teachers played a huge part in embodying God's love and priorities in practical ways. I would especially mention my two headmasters at Elm Road, George Leehew and John Atfield, and my year six teacher, Barry Clist, who were all the most amazing witnesses and examples in my formative years. When I moved on to Wimbledon High School, I was really blessed to have a Christian form teacher, Rachel Adams, for my first two years. In July this year, she retired after spending her entire teaching career at the school. And at her farewell afternoon tea, I was able to thank her for the great encouragement she had been to me. Here at Christchurch, I progressed through all of the children's and youth groups and had many teachers and leaders who had a wonderful impact on my walk with God. If you asked me to single out one in particular, I would have to choose Sue Webster. When I was in Pathfinders, or Encounter as it is now known, the girls in my year were really keen to dig deeper and wrestle with the Bible a bit more. So Sue volunteered to give up one evening a week and open up her home for us to form a home group which we called PLUG, standing for Praying, Learning and Understanding God. I learnt lots at PLUG and indeed throughout all the Sunday schools and groups. But it was at the Christian summer camps, which I attended from the age of 12, that I felt most deeply challenged as to where I myself stood in my relationship with God. For those of you who aren't familiar with such summer camps, they are run by various organisations, such as Scripture Union and CPAS, and are a wonderful week to 10 days away without your parents, which is obviously a bonus for any teenager. You partake in loads of fun activities and make lots of friends. But the thing which sets them apart from any other camps is the brilliant Bible teaching, seminars and discipling to engage with wherever you stand in terms of faith and relationship with God. As I mentioned, I started attending camps at the age of 12. 
but from the age of 15 in 1989 all the way until the age of 32, believe it or not, I attended the same camp in terms of leadership team, albeit initially at different venues. Now, as a teenager, you somehow fail to be bowled over by the palatial locations you are staying in. But I remember when I did my Why I'm a Christian talk almost exactly 10 years ago, on the 30th of August 2009, people were very interested to see photos of the crazy places I got to stay, so why not see them again? <laughs> In 1989, and then again in 1991, we stayed at Roosden, near Lyme Regis. And in between, in 1990, we were located at Colford, near Bury St Edmunds. <laughs> Pretty impressive, huh? Those were my years as a member on the camp, and my memories of those times really don't do justice to the magnificence of the settings. But looking back to 1992, my year as a junior leader, or task forcer as we called them, there I am with the task force team, and again in 1993, my first year as a leader, the venue is certainly etched on my memory. We were staying in Milton Abbas School near Dorchester, another magnificent looking site, but rather bizarrely, this school comes complete with an English heritage tourist attraction, Milton Abbey. Now, as a teacher looking back, I'd be very interested to know how the school copes with the safeguarding issue of tourists wandering around. It certainly made life very interesting on camp. And if that wasn't enough, the second year we were there, the site was also being used as a film location for the Browning version. So we were trying to teach and entertain lots of teenagers while Albert Finney and Greta Scacchi were swanning around looking gl glamorous. Ridiculous. Unsurprisingly, we then looked for an alternative location and from 1994 moved to Sparkford near Yeovil. Most people who have heard of Sparkford only know it as a roundabout on the A303 but for me, Hazelgrove House School holds a very special place in my heart, a place where I was blessed to serve in varying roles on the leadership team and in turn learn a huge amount and grow significantly in my walk with God. Most of my photos from camp days are boxed up in a cupboard somewhere, but I found a couple by trawling Facebook and here's a group photo outside the school from 1995. My last year at Sparkford was 2006, but the camp is still going strong to this day. Now, I haven't been at 6.30 for all of the talks in this series, but I have caught up with them online and found them both fascinating and inspiring. I don't think it's necessarily surprising that Nathan, David and David all chose blokes as their examples of Christians who had such a big impact on them, partly because of who we may relate to more readily as individuals, but also because of the greater role generally played by men in Christian leadership until more recently. In a way, it would be easy for me to choose a bloke to talk about too. You see, the camp I've been describing, which I attended from the age of 15 to 32, was run by what you might describe as very conservative evangelicals.
This meant that the biblical teaching was very rigorous and gave me a wonderful grounding, which I'm immensely grateful for, but also meant that the overall positions of leadership were all held by men, and the main talks in all the evening meetings were also only given by men. These godly and hugely gifted men taught me vast amounts, and I owe them a huge debt. But it is a woman who I have chosen, and was indeed the obvious choice as the Christian who changed my life. Here she is. Her name is Rachel Dosser. She's a successful artist, or printmaker to be more precise, and she lives in Oxford with her husband Tim and their two daughters. Now I haven't actually met up with Rachel since I stopped serving on camp, but we exchange Christmas cards and I sometimes hear news of her via mutual friends. When I first knew her, her name was Rachel Gracie and she was more commonly known by Ray, which is the name I usually think of her by. Back then, she was studying at Wimbledon's School of Art and living, believe it or not, in June Whitfield's converted garage. <laughs> I never saw June Whitfield when I went to visit her. As I mentioned, I only managed to track down a couple of relevant photos during my trawl of Facebook, and this is the only one I could find which features both Ray and myself. I'm unsure of the year, but it's from a game of Hunt the Leader. This activity involved leaders dressing up in a variety of costumes and disguises and scattering ourselves around a nearby town, in this case, Yeovil, to be discovered by the members. The members had to pluck up the courage to ask a set embarrassing question, often not 100% sure whether they'd found a leader or just a more unusual member of the public. <laughs> if it was a leader, they would give them a clue to help solve a puzzle. As I say, I'm not sure which year this was, but I obviously didn't feel restricted by the need to be PC in my choice of disguise. I'm not quite sure which ethnicity I was aiming for there. Uh, there's Ray with a far more suitable choice. While we're looking at this terrible photo, I might as well point out Helen Marsh, former member of this church, who some of you will recognize. And I bet you'd never guess from looking at this that the guy standing next to me, Lee Gatiss, would go on to be the current director of the church society. But enough of that, and back to Ray, and why she was such an obvious choice as the subject of this talk. Ray was my main dormitory leader when I first attended the camp, aged 15. Looking back, in the light of all my years as a dorm leader, I can see that I must have been rather annoying and frustrating to have in the dorm. All those years of Bible teaching at home, school and church meant that I knew all the answers in the Bible studies and it didn't often occur to me to make sure everyone in the group had a chance to answer questions. I remember attending a training seminar years later on leading Bible studies and being given tips on how to deal with members who kept on dominating the discussion. <laughs> Things like ensuring they sat out of your eye line and avoiding eye contact with them, 
and reflecting on how various leaders had probably tried those techniques with me, most likely without much success. So, annoying in that regard, but frustrating too, because although I knew all the answers, I'm sure it was hard to pinpoint where I actually stood with God, whether I just knew it all or whether it went deeper than that. It did go deeper, and I did believe all the things I could talk about so easily, but there were definitely missing links that needed, needed to be made. Fortunately, the programme on camp facilitated a one-to-one chat between dorm leaders and members towards the end of the 10 days, an opportunity to challenge and question more pointedly. Ray began her one-to-one chat with the 15-year-old me with a diagnostic question. She asked me, if you died today and God asked you why he should welcome you to spend eternity with him, what would your answer be? My reply was very telling. Because I love Jesus and I try my best to live the way he wants me to, by going to church, reading the Bible and doing the right things. Now, if we'd been doing a Bible study about why Jesus needed to die on the cross, I would have been able to explain that very clearly. But somehow, in my mind, that wonderful truth was something other people needed to hear. But I hadn't grasped that it was my sin too which had driven Jesus to the cross. I think I felt blessed due to having been immersed in all things Christian throughout my life to have missed out on falling into being sinful and therefore needing Jesus's salvation in the same way that others did. I'd always believed myself to be friends with Jesus, so hadn't actually grasped that this was only possible because of Jesus's saving and sacrificial love. Ray followed up by gently asking whether my good would ever be good enough in the light of God's holy and perfect standards. She then took me through the gospel outline called Two Ways to Live. I was very familiar with all of the concepts contained in this, but the truth of picture two struck me with a completely new realisation. I understood properly for the first time that I too rejected God's rule in my life that I too was rebellious and sinful. I heard afresh the verse from Romans 3 saying, there is no one righteous, not even one. Ray described our sinfulness and rebellion like a virus which we all suffer from. However much it may seem as though we have fewer or different symptoms of this virus than other people, we will never have a clean bill of health without Jesus' salvation. It was my sin, just as much as anyone else's, which sent Jesus to the cross. With God's leading and guiding, Ray was able to use the scriptures in exactly the way we can read in 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
But the way Ray changed my life certainly didn't stop there. Following on from this necessary challenge and rebuke, Ray's focus was then on training and equipping. In that same conversation, she set me the challenge to learn two ways to live, including all the Bible references, so that I would be able to summarise the Gospel if I was ever asked to explain it to anyone. Now, I firmly believe that what seem like coincidences in our lives are actually God incidences. So I shouldn't have been surprised when, four years later, age 19, in my first year as a dorm leader, in that crazy year based at Milton Abbas with a film crew constantly in the way, my overall dorm leader was none other than Ray. At the leaders' training weekend a few weeks before camp, new leaders were encouraged to role-play a one-to-one chat using Two Ways to Live with their overall dorm leader. As I sat down with Ray, drawing out the six boxes and reading out the Bible references, the tears started to pour down her face. In spite of all the other teenagers she would have discipled in the intervening time, she remembered our conversation of four years earlier just as clearly as I did and was very moved to see how things had changed. I learnt so much from serving with Ray in the dorm that year and I continued to learn from her as the years went by. After a few years of service, I took over from Ray as one of the house parents who were senior leaders responsible for such things as ensuring bedtimes were adhered to. Ray was a wonderful example of authority with a gentle touch, and I was very much equipped for the role by following in her pattern. I also took over from Ray in the rather pretentious sounding role of head of ambience or as we always pronounced it, ambiance. <laughs> this involved such things as overseeing the activities and entertainment on camp, as well as working out how the year's theme, which were things such as superheroes or the Olympics or whatever, would influence events, dorm names and so on. The overall leadership team was known as the Cabinet, and it would have been easy to have felt intimidated or out of my depth amongst my fellow cabinet members. But again, following in Ray's footsteps and with her continued support, advice and encouragement, I felt enabled to serve in this capacity. I mentioned the word encouragement there, and in addition to the challenge Ray gave me and the way she taught and trained me in various areas, encouragement is definitely one of Ray's gifts probably boxed up somewhere with those camp photos I couldn't lay my hands on for this evening, I have countless cards and notes sent to me by Ray over the years, both when I was a member on camp and then also on into my various stages of leadership. These were always short and to the point, written in her distinctive artistic handwriting invariably addressing me as Ruthie with two E's, as she was wont to do, and letting me know what she was praying for me, or how well I had done something, or a verse I shouldn't forget. Those cards would have taken her only a few minutes to write, but made the world of difference to me. How often do we take opportunities to encourage others? 
Some people, like Ray, have a special gift for it, but that doesn't let the rest of us off the hook. There's one last thing about Ray that I want to mention, which also had a huge impact on me, and that was her example. In our reading from 1 Thessalonians 2, we heard, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. This was definitely true of Ray. You couldn't fail to be struck by the authenticity of her walk with God, along with her joy and enthusiasm. In addition to characteristics and gifts which I've already mentioned, there are two particular aspects which really helped me. There was a prevailing culture amongst the younger leaders on camp to move into some form of full-time Christian ministry after university, such as an internship at a church or working for an organisation such as UCCF amongst students. But I felt very strongly that God was calling me to train to be a teacher and to serve him in that sphere. It would have been easy to call that into question in the light of so many of my contemporaries choosing differently. But Ray was very open about her decision to work as an artist. She felt that God had gifted her with her artistic skills and talents and that she was able to glorify him through the work she produced. Alongside the flexibility her work allowed her to take on roles at church and camp, she felt convinced that this was what God wanted her to be doing, which in turn was hugely empowering and encouraging for me. It thrills me to know that Ray is still working as an artist and using the wonderful gifts God has given her to celebrate the beauty of his creation. The other instance of Ray's example really striking me springs from what must have been a less positive time in her life. Now, Christian camps like Sparkford can be a source of romance and happily ever after. As members, we would always look for signs of romance between the leaders, and as Ray was so lovely and so popular, we were always hopeful on her behalf. So when she started going out with one of the camp heartthrobs, Rupert Edwards, you can imagine our excitement. It was like a Christian version of Scott and Charlene on Neighbours, and we could hear wedding bells ringing. But then, much to our distress, they broke up. It obviously wasn't our place to know the details, but what we could see was the way Ray dealt with it. Everything about her response put God at the centre, that God had a plan and knew what was best, that Rupert remained someone she could serve alongside and treat with love and respect, that God can use all of our experiences, including the disappointments, to shape and grow us. This had a huge impact on us, challenging us as to where we were putting our trust and also whether we would be able to be such a wonderful example in the face of hurt and heartache. Happily, as we've seen, Ray went on to marry Tim, and I have no doubt that she continues to be a wonderful example to those around her. Challenge, accountability, teaching, training, equipping, encouragement and example. 
Those are just some of the ways in which Rachel Dosser changed my life. If she ever listens to this, I'd like to say a huge thank you to her. Maybe I should write her a note, like all the notes she wrote to me. Who is God calling us to be Rachel's for? Who needs a word of challenge or encouragement? Who might look to us for teaching or training? Who is studying our example? Since I stopped leading on camp, I don't feel the pressure to keep up with the latest slang or jargon, so I'm probably several years out of date, but I'll say it anyway. Be more Rachel. Or in other words, be more Jesus. Amen.